Well, good morning again, church. It's good to see all of you. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And uh, hopefully you've recovered from your food coma from the last few days. If not, don't worry. You're going to have more uh, good food this afternoon if you're staying with us for our CLC Thanksgiving lunch. Uh, I just want to make a quick shout out to our CLC Holy Chow crew who are in the kitchen right now, busy preparing our meal. And so thank you, Art, Norman, Linda, Ron and Karen, and Carol. So why don't we all give a chance to thank them when you see them? I may have missed a few names, so whoever's back there, um, we appreciate that. Now, I often say this time of year is my favorite. And do you know why? Well, it's not Thanksgiving or Christmas that's coming soon next month. It's because of this. Yes, the local Dungeness Crab season begins in November. And in November and December, the Dungeness Crab are the largest, the sweetest tasting, the juiciest. And, and if you ever enjoyed eating one of these delicious crabs, especially one that is fresh from the ocean and not store-bought from a fish tank, you know what I'm talking about. And here's a tip I got from my cousin, who happens to be in his second career, a commercial fisherman and crabber. What makes local Dungeness crab so special? Why is it different from crab, say, from the Pacific Northwest? Well, my cousin says Dungeness crab are bottom feeders. So they scavenge, salvage stuff off the bottom of the ocean floor. And so they are basically a product of their environment. In the Pacific Northwest, the uh, ocean floor is actually mud. But here, locally, it's sand, which is a cleaner environment for the crab to live off of and feed off of, which impacts the quality of the crab meat, at least according to my cousin. Now, by the encouragement of our pastoral team, we devoted the month of November for 30 days of Thanksgiving. So there's still a few more days in November, so we have more chances to thank God in both word and deed. So for me today, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I thank God for being blessed to live in the Bay Area and be able to enjoy local fresh Dungeness crab. So a question for all of you to think about. What are you thankful for? How can you thank God for blessing you this past year? You all would likely agree with me when I say we cannot ever thank God enough. Is there anyone here who has the courage before God and all these witnesses to disagree with what I just said? I don't think so. But honestly, do we even make an effort to do this? Do we even try to do this consistently, to thank God? Plus, it's easy to thank God when life is going well. But when trials and difficulties are seemingly an everyday occurrence, it's hard to give thanks, right? There's this popular saying, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. This proverbial statement encourages optimism in the midst of adversity or misfortune. 
turning something negative into something positive, looking at the cup half full rather than half empty. But what if you don't like lemonade? When you're going through tough times or struggles like broken relationships, broken finances, or broken health, like cancer or depression, maybe grieving over the loss of a family member, can you still have an attitude of gratefulness to God? Hard to understand, let alone believe, but according to God's plan for us, the answer is yes. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn together to this morning's passage, which we'll find in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 28. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the young church at Thessalonica in northern Greece, which was going through some very difficult, hard times due to heavy persecution. And Paul encourages them, in spite of their circumstances, to give thanks to God. So at this time, I want to read from verse Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 28, starting with verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you with, before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that is the word of our Lord. So before we dive deeper into this, this passage, let me pray for us so that we will be prepared to hear it. Heavenly Father, help us to see, hear, know what you want us to experience. Transform us through your word that never returns void. Show us the way to wholeness and vitality of life in Jesus Christ, a way that is completely opposite to what we are comfortable with or familiar with. Mold us, shape us to be more like Jesus each and every day. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. I pray this in the most precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. This passage I just read from 1 Thessalonians is the final instructions by Paul to the Thessalonian church. Now, although I read verses 12 to 27, I'm just going to focus on verses 16 to 18. My purpose in reading those final instructions in its entirety is to give you the context of verses 16 to 18. 
Now, a little background as to what is going on in this young church at that particular time. Paul had planted uh, this church at Thessalonica, a major city in the northern part of Greece, on his second missionary trip. Now, unfortunately, Paul had to leave prematurely after preaching only three weeks there because there was an extreme mob violence that was being stirred up by the local Jewish leaders who are not very happy with Paul's teaching about this new religion called Christianity. Paul wrote this letter to encourage the young believers to persevere and to be faithful in living holy lives for Jesus, even though he was not there to teach them or lead them. Paul was concerned that he did not have enough time to disciple them and grow them fully in their understanding of the gospel. These new Christians were experiencing tremendous violence from the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities for their faith. Now, back then, if you were a Christian, it isn't hunky-dory like it is here. They were literally tortured, beaten, crucified, killed for their faith. And many of these young believers were thinking Paul and God had abandoned them to suffer alone. Some were ready to give up and return to their old ways. At least they could survive and not be tortured or crucified like a lot of their members were being, done, being killed. So in the midst of their suffering and under heavy persecution, Paul wrote this long list of reminders. It's basically a list of almost 15 commands of how to live in Christ. And for us, I want to focus mainly again on the three commands in verses 16 to 18, which I believe many of us are very familiar with. So let me read them again, verses 15 to 16, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I hope all of us who profess to follow Jesus really want to obey God and do God's will. I mean, that's our main purpose in life, is to be obedient. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. Just like Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, God. When we do God's will, when we are in the center of his plan for us, as opposed to going against it, there's a sense of peace in us that overcomes anything we can face in the world. Now, for some of us here, this may still be a mystery about following God's will that doesn't often make sense to us. For some of us, we have lived out this truth. And for sure, I can say I have. From verses 16 to 18, Paul gives us three reminders that are part of God's will for us. The first being, rejoice always. Now, to the original audience, under the circumstances that they were under, with that heavy persecution, Paul's command was like crazy thinking. How can you be joyful while suffering? How can you be joyful when your loved one has been murdered? And if many back then were likely grieving over family and friends killed for following Jesus, you can understand how they would be reluctant to be joyful. 
But the Christian life has that paradox of pain and joy at the same time. Where happiness is a result of the happenings around us, joy is independent of our circumstances. So how can joy coexist with pain and suffering? How can something so good be connected with something so bad? Well, here's an illustration, an analogy that might be helpful. Not perfect, of course, but maybe will help us to understand this concept, which is not natural for us to know or even feel. How many of you like creme brulee? Yeah, there's a picture of that. I'm probably making you hungry as you're looking at that. Happens to be one of my favorite dishes. And actually, I've had many times where I've made it for guests who come to my house. Translated literally, creme brulee is burnt cream in French. This sweet, creamy dessert, which tastes so good, is covered by a layer of basically burnt sugar, which you would think most things that are burned would taste awful. But this combination works. Both good and what is seemingly bad can go together at the same time. When Paul tells us to rejoice, always he's reminding us that even when bad things are happening to us, when we feel like we are being burned by this world, that we can have joy because God, like sweet cream, is good, and he is still in control. I personally can count on my hand the times that I have experienced extreme joy. It's like when I got married, the birth of my two children, and of course, when I passed my dental license exam. Those were moments of extreme joy. But my life-changing example of joy in the midst of suffering was on the day I committed my life to Jesus. In the midst of great depression and discouragement, feeling like a total failure, when I gave up control to Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I felt tremendous joy. Even though I felt joy, did my depression go away instantly? Nope. That took another year to get healed and overcome. But I was at peace that God was with me. God does not exempt us from life's problems. Instead, Psalm 23, verse 4 says this, David reminds us that God will be with us when we are in trouble. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The second thing, according to God's will for us, could be found in verse 17, and that is to pray continually. Now, nothing against prayer, but I don't think Paul is literally telling us to always be praying. I mean, we can't, can't constantly be on our knees praying and neglect the other things in life that we ought to be doing, like work, eat, sleep. Rather, what Paul is possibly suggesting here is that we can have a prayerful attitude, an attitude that acknowledges that we are dependent on God. Matter of fact, we cannot fulfill these commands without God's help. It's not natural. It's not normal for us to feel joy in pain. Only with supernatural power from the Holy Spirit is this possible. 
And if we understand that prayer is simply conversations with God, then praying continually can imply we possess a continuous relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In the Great Commission, Jesus makes this promise to us in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. If we follow in obedience to follow God's will for us, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The key to this, here's the promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our God is not a small God, but a big God. He is master of the universe because he just so happened to have created everything in it. When we pray, we are talking to El Shaddai, Elohim, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh. He is the great I am, faithful father, healer, protector, bondage breaker. Our God is a rock of ages, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, king of kings. We have a relationship with the son of man, the lamb of God, the lion of Judah, ocean parter, death defeater, savior, Emmanuel. He is Lord, Messiah, Jesus the Christ. God promises to be with us forever and will not let anyone snatch us out of his grasp. So that is why it is possible for us to pray continually because we have a relationship that is continuous through Jesus Christ. Here's something practical we all can still do throughout our day outside of our usual plan, quiet times, and prayer times with God. We can shoot quick, short, spontaneous arrow prayers to God, whether at work, at school, while walking in the park, or even shopping at the market. And just to exercise that because of the timeliness of it, I want to pray really quick for one of our sisters in Christ who is going through some healing for a bacterial sepsis in her body right now. So let me pray for her. Heavenly Father, we shoot this prayer to you now because uh, one of our members is, is having some health issues, and we just want to pray for your healing over her, that you will improve in health, that you would get rid of that bacterial infection, and that you will... Get her back on her feet so she can be back into our church body and enjoy fellowship with us again. So we thank you, Lord, that you are the great healer, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Finally, the last thing, according to God's will for us, Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, in verse 18. Now, I don't think Paul is telling us to thank God for everything that happens to us in life. Trials and tribulations, setbacks and hurt happen in the normal course of life. Bad things, actually evil things, are not from God. Because God is not evil, but holy and good. But when evil strikes, when bad things happen, we can still be thankful for God's presence and for the good that God can accomplish through those troubles. 
And that good may not be realized by us immediately while we're going through that suffering, but only maybe many years later with hindsight. And even sometimes, not by us during our suffering that we will realize the good, but by the next generations who have the advantage of being able to look back in history. God has been faithful to CLC for 100 years, and for some generations that have preceded us, they may not have seen the good that God turned some bad in our history as a church. But today, we do have that advantage. And we give thanks for that. This attitude of thanksgiving is for sure not possible by our own efforts alone. But as transformed people, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can give thanks in all circumstances. And be able to give thanks in all circumstances counters our tendency to being critical, bitter, and hateful when we are hurt, disappointed, discouraged, or afraid. The act of giving thanks helps us to be more generous, humble, and compassionate to others. It's a process, a discipline that sanctifies us, which produces in us a character more like Jesus, and that's being transformed for Jesus. Here's a wonderful quote that I found from Thomas Merton, a Catholic priest, theologian, and writer, one of my favorite authors to read. To be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything he has given us, and he has given us everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of his love. Every moment of existence is a grace, for it brings with it immense graces from him. That's why at my age now, and you may think I'm being ridiculous, every morning when I wake up, realizing I am not dead yet, and I'm still breathing, I thank God for loving me and letting me live one more day. That quote from Thomas Merton continues, gratitude therefore takes nothing for granted, is never unresponsive, it is constantly awakening to a new wonder and to praise the goodness of God. For a grateful person knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. And that is what makes all the difference. That's why when I say, God is good, and your response is, all the time. Question. Do you, through your own personal experiences, know that God is good? Do you receive his gift of, God, gift of love and grace with gratefulness? If not, why not? At this time, I want to call up uh, Alice McMullen to share her story of thanksgiving of God working in her life during possibly a difficult time. Why don't we give a warm CLC welcome as Alice comes. Well, good morning. 
Um, I want to first start off by want to say thank you to all the COC staff that have um, invited us to participate in the 30 days of Thanksgiving because you know we all know that we need to be thankful and there are so many things we can be thankful for but you know when it actually comes to um, doing it it's a little challenging sometimes um, so I'm really thankful that this week or not this week this month since the beginning of November, I was able to each day just spend a little time to just kind of pause a little bit and to reflect on, you know, all the things I'm thankful for and for the, um, you know, there are just like the song we sang earlier, that God is faithful. There are so many things that um, we have experienced that, um, but anyways, but this past week was actually a little difficult for me to, um, because three years ago, um, my mom actually passed away from COVID. You know, it's been three years, but there are still times that it's a little difficult. And it was actually um, the week before Thanksgiving. So, so even, even though it's been like three years, it's still, um, there are times that are, a lot of, there are definitely a lot of fond memories and a lot of sweet memories, but there were also <clears throat> definitely times there were some challenging times. But, um, you know, there were certainly a lot of answer prayers um, prayers that were directly, and um, I can see God working. And even there were times when there were prayers that were unspoken prayers, when you know things were pretty challenging, and I didn't know what to pray for or how to pray. But even in those times, God knew, and He answered them anyway. And there are also times when, um, you know. God didn't, didn't answer ex, like what I expected him to or the timing. But, you know, in all circumstances, I can definitely see God was at work, even when I, don't, I didn't really realize it at the time. And so for those of you who didn't know my mom, my mom was actually uh, had dementia for about 10 years before she actually passed away in 2020. Um, and so today that I was reflecting on, especially those 10 years, um, there are four things that I wanted to share with you this morning. Four P's, the letter P, uh, like pumpkin pies, I love to think about food, um, but that's not what I'm going to be sharing today. The first P that I want to share is God's protection, God's protection over my mom. Um, so before we actually realized she had dementia, there were <clears throat> actually three times that she went out and couldn't find her way home. You know, we hear that sometimes, we see it, you know, flash or whatever for a missing person report, um, but when it actually happens to you, it's, it's fairly scary. So the first time it happened, she 
um, she was out and about and um, got lost and couldn't find her way home. And it wasn't until that night when I called her and she didn't pick up the phone and I realized something was wrong. And so it so happened that day she went to a senior fellowship at church and the meeting ended around noon and it was for like over 12 hours that she couldn't find her way home. And so when I called her and she didn't pick up the phone and so I called up the people from church and see if she actually made it to church that morning and she did. Um, but apparently there was, so she lived in a city by herself. My dad passed away. She was in a, in a city by herself. And apparently the, the munibus that she took that day had a detour. And so, um, you know, she was, got confused, got lost, and couldn't find her way home. And so, you know, all we could, all we could, so it was about, eight in the evening when I found out that she wasn't home. And <clears throat> so all we could do is to drive around the bus route and just to make sure, you know, see if we could find her. Um, and then it got dark, it started raining, and it was, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, anyways, and eventually we had to file the missing person report. You know, and after that, there wasn't really much we could do other than to, you know, to, to wait till the morning and to, you know, see what else we can do. And so I drove back to Berkeley, and uh, my, my phone rang. And fortunately, um, she was comfortable enough eventually to ask for help, and, and the person called me. And so that was the first time she got lost. Second time, um, she actually went to the police station and the police called us. And the third time, she actually got into somebody's car and somebody drove her home. When she told me about it, I almost had a heart attack that she actually got into a stranger's car. Um, but, you know, looking in hindsight, I can definitely see, you know, God protected her throughout those instances. The second P I want to share is God's provision. God's provision. Um, so when, after she got lost three times, so we had to do something to make sure she's safe. And so we started looking for an assisted living facility for her. Um, and it wasn't an easy thing to do because first of all, with dementia, she didn't know that she needed help and she didn't want to be helped, which made it really difficult. And so when we were interviewing different facilities, um, you know, most of them actually have a waiting list. Um, so just because we wanted to move her, um, you know, it's not like we can move her in right away. But, um, but again, you know, God um, provided um, a place where um, we knew she was in good hands. And there weren't too many of those. Um, she was well cared for. And she... God provided uh, the things that were important to her because we knew she wanted to go to church. And there's, you know, she, my, you know, I'm in Berkeley, my, my sister's in the peninsula, my brother's in the South Bay. So it was really hard for us to actually get her to church. So this uh, facility that she moved into was actually 
uh, a nonprofit that was started out by a church in the city, and it was more like a ministry to them. And so they actually had a pastor on, on staff, um, on site. And um, they actually have Sunday service um, at the facility, but eventually they actually have to move it to uh, a hotel across the street where people that were able to go, they actually had caregivers that would walk them to church, which is great. Um, and they also had weekly um, prayer meetings, which my, my mom loved to attend. Um, so I knew that she was well cared for, and God certainly provided that for her. And the third thing I want to, the third P I want to share is God's power. God's power. Um, I can certainly see God, you know, nothing is impossible for God, um, even in difficult circumstances. So when we had to first move my mom, you know, she was certainly not happy about it because um, she, she thought she was fine. She didn't need, need help. Um, so she was very, actually very agitated initially, especially the day we moved her. Um, it was so bad that the people there actually had to um, sneak us out from the back door just so that we could leave because, you know, my mom was just very agitated at the time. And for about six weeks, um, you know, God was working. Initially, she was still very angry, and she, you know, repeatedly um, threatened to commit suicide, which is really difficult to hear. Um, but over time, God really changed her to a point where she not only um, wasn't happy, she actually was at peace, and she actually fell in love with the place where she was at. So I was really thankful for that as well. Um, so the four P that I want to share is praise, praising God. Praising God for um, that he would use all circumstances for my good and for his glory. Um, I, I love the song, um, I Raise a, hell a Hallelujah. Where it's just that, um, uh, you know, uh, can't remember what it says, but it says, what did it say? <laughs> um, yeah, that my weapon, my weapon is my, it's a melody that I'm going to sing in the middle of a storm, louder and louder will my praises roar, up from the ashes, hope will arise, death has defeated my king is alive. It's just, just um, you know, it's just such a beautiful way to remember to praise God in, in our circumstances. And as I look back, I can certainly see God's goodness in her life. Um, and also the fact that God was able to use, use her for his glory. Um, the four uh, caregivers that my mom had... Uh, they were all non-believers. And with my mom's dementia, the only way to really engage with her is to, she loves to, to read scriptures and she loves to sing hymns. And so these uh, caregivers, the only way to connect with her was to, um, you know, read the Bible with her. And, and um, so I know the seeds have been planted and I know that in God's perfect timing that I pray that, you know, they would one day to come and to know 
Christ and to salvation. So, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing to see how God works. And so for that, I am thankful. I'm thankful for my mom, for all the years I've had with her, for the way that um, I've learned to, um, to love God and to know God. And um, so, anyway, thank you. Thank you, Alice, for that wonderful sharing about uh, rejoicing and praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances. Well, our goal here at Christian Lehman Church is to become transformed people for Jesus, not just in our thoughts, but also through our deeds. So we are not to sit idle as spectators, but to respond in action. And this morning, you have heard me speak about having joy of talking to God consistently and giving thanks, even things, even when things are, are rough. Now, don't do this because I tell you so, but according to the Apostle Paul, this is God's will for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. So as a response to his word, I want us to take some time now to think of something we can think uh, to thank God for, for being part of our life. Doesn't have to be a miracle or something big because God works in little things. We just have to have eyes to see them. The ushers, which I like to call now to help me out here, can you come and pass out these ornamental thank you cards? This is going to be an opportunity for you to, to reflect to remember how God has been good for you and to write a thank you note to God. And later, after service, there's a Christmas tree that's already set up in the fellowship hall, and we want you to hang these thank you cards on that Christmas tree as your love offering to God this morning. And if you choose to, maybe as you're reflecting and and thinking about how to thank God, something that we've been encouraging during these 30 days of Thanksgiving, especially in the last week, to find an opportunity to thank God by sharing the good news of Jesus with somebody in your circles. Just like Alice just shared about her mother, even in her dementia, was sharing the gospel with her caretakers. Afterwards, when you are done with that, you can then bring it later to the fellowship hall and hang it up there. Now, while you're doing this, I'd like to have the worship team come up now. They'll be playing in the background a response song while you're writing down your thoughts on those cards. For this Thanksgiving, let's practice giving thanks together, for this is God's will for us. May this time be a blessing to you and to God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks with a grateful heart. We give thanks to you, the Holy One. We give thanks because you have given us Jesus Christ, your Son. When we are weak, we are strong because you are strong. When we are poor, we are rich because we are your sons and daughters. 
We give thanks with grateful hearts because of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. May we rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, may this be so. Receive our thank you cards now, and may they be pleasing to you and an offering of love from us to you. And I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.